0: till i stand with joy before the throne to this i
1: entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him and what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know That you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show um, deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him the denarius. Then... He said to them, Those, or whose head is this and whose title? They answered, the emperor's. Then he said to them, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. The same day the Sadducees came to him saying, there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies childless, his brother shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us, and the first married and died childless, leaving the widow to his brother. The second did the same. So also the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman herself died. In the resurrection then, whose wife is the s- of the seven will she be? For all of them had married her. Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. So I hear often this phrase we are certainly living in interesting times. When people talk about living in interesting times, there's usually this sense of crisis involved. Perhaps it's global warming or terrorism, or coming to grips with the fact that our racial divides seem greater than we ever thought. Crises change, but every generation has experienced this sense of living in interesting times. At one point, it was the collapse of communism. Another point, it was the threat of global nuclear war. Throughout all of this, though, there's one crisis that's been going on for a good couple hundred years or more, and that is the crisis of authority. When I was in eighth grade, my class had a particularly ineffective teacher. His name was Mr. Ellis, and so being cruel in the way that only eighth graders are cruel, every time Mr. Ellis (laughs) turned his back to write something on the chalkboard, we all used to scoot our desks forward a few inches toward the front of the classroom. Alas, the teacher. (laughs) Eventually, the front row was only a couple feet from Mr. Ellis, and then eventually a few inches (laughs) from Mr. Ellis. (laughs) This poor, poor man. He was completely helpless, and we had zero respect for him. As early as that moment, and I would say much earlier in my life, whether I knew it or not, I began to reflect on from where does authority come? And on that Tuesday, merely three days before Jesus would be suspended on a cross, this is the question at hand. If Monday, as Emily put it last week, if Monday was about missing the point entirely, then Tuesday was about this question authority. By what authority? This is the question Jesus is asked in Matthew 21 all throughout Matthew's gospel. Matthew tells the story of this alliance that is building and steeping against Jesus, an alliance whose membership seems to keep changing throughout the story, but whose question has remained the same. By what authority, by what authority does this man say these things and do these things and live this way? At the beginning... And the story of the wise men, do you remember? Herod calls his chief priests and his scribes and asks this question By what authority? Early on, the conspiracy conducted by the Pharisees alone asks, By what authority? Later, Jesus is approached by the Pharisees and some scribes, and they ask, By what authority? When Jesus predicts his arrest, he identifies his accusers as the elders and the chief priests, and the scribes now, and now they're all asking this question, by what authority? Earlier in this chapter, it's the chief priest, and the scribes, and the Pharisees, and the elders, and they're all asking this question, by what authority? A casual reading might suggest these groups are all interchangeable. It doesn't matter which word we throw in, Pharisee, Sadducee, elder, chief priest, that would miss the point, (laughs) to quote Emily. The point is that these groups represent the conventional forms of established authority in ancient society. The chief priests represent the authority of birth. The scribes represent the authority of education. The Pharisees represent the authority of religious observance, strict religious observance. The elders represent the authority of wealth and social connections. And they come to Jesus and they ask him, by what authority do you waltz into this temple and overturn these tables and perform healings and make all this mayhem? Who exactly do you think you are? You need to realize they're assuming, they're asking a question to which they themselves embody all the available answers. The question of authority goes right to the heart of the gospel and to the heart of society all throughout our history. Let's look at history for a second. In the Middle Ages, while money and social connections could give you power, there was no chronic crisis of authority in the Middle Ages. Since God was the unquestioned source of authority, God's representatives on earth had the highest authority. Then the Greeks and the Romans were considered to be the only people who ever got civilization right. And so wisdom and institutions directly derived from that classical era were a source of authority, complementary to the church. Then the Reformation, you following me? Then the Reformation, the Reformation shook this consensus again over authority because it shifted authority from institutions and individuals to one very particular book. What book is that? The Bible, proclaiming the authority of scripture was supposed to unite everyone around this fixed and unchanging, even infallible point of authority, the Bible, but it had an opposite result. Once growing literacy and the printing press meant that everyone got to read it for themselves, it turned out that they each came to a, who would have thunk it, a drastically different conclusion about what it meant. Authority came to lie not so much in this book now, but in those who were regarded as the interpreters of that book then, people like me. And so the Protestant churches ended up reinventing their own versions of the old authority structures they'd worked so hard to abolish in the beginning. And the trouble was, by now, there were dozens of rival authority structures all throughout the world which rather discredited the whole idea of one authority. The old consensus over authority had gone And then we know the Enlightenment, beginning around 1700, finished the job on this thing called authority. The Enlightenment said authority lay not in ancient documents or in venerable institutions or inspired leaders, but in the heart of each individual, it told us. So the American and French revolutions invested authority not in God or in the church or in the Bible, but in people. They introduced a new religion, which said that the voice of the people was the voice of God. And that's the moment when the age old question of authority turns into the very contemporary crisis of authority that we know now. Because now we don't just have rival, squabbling authorities, we suddenly have something more important than authority. And it's something we call freedom. And it's something we value so, so much. Freedom is what I feel seems right to me. Authority is what others believe is best for everyone. Freedom's what feels right to me. Freedom is the voice that comes from within me. Authority is the voice that comes from within others. But I only really trust the voice that comes from within me, right? When your authority seems to limit my freedom, I describe you as authoritarian. No one wants to be called an authoritarian. And that shows that we value freedom now more than we value authority. We have no final arbiter between our desires and the good for others. It's our desires. It's what we want. It's what I believe, which is why we have a crisis of authority, a crisis of authority that is over 200 years old. If Jesus were hanging out with the disciples in the public square today, the people who would question his authority wouldn't be Pharisees or elders or chief priests or scribes, they'd be more familiar faces to us. You know who they'd be. They'd be the shadowy multinational corporate executives who stand to gain by lobbying their candidate into the White House. They'd be the leading scientific minds of our universities, used to being the authorities on undisputed facts They'd be the psychological experts used to dealing with self-proclaimed messiahs with delusions of grandeur. They'd be the media moguls, right, used to shaping public opinion by claiming simply to reflect it. And what these figures have in common is that they represent the two kinds of authority that emerged from this historical landscape and that carry weight today, only two kinds in our world carry weight. Two kinds of authority that carry weight are the authority of force and the authority of function. The authority of force is really about power, right? It's about power. Let's go back to my exasperated eighth grade teacher for the moment. Mr. Ellis clearly lost the moral power of persuasion in that classroom. As our desk slid slowly towards him like an advancing army, he used to plead with us. <laughs> okay, now you've had your fun. You've had your fun. Let's go back to work now. But to his horror, my teacher found that the desks just kept advancing on him. The real question is, as every parent and teacher, and police officer, or failing authoritarian knows deep inside is that when the moral power of persuasion fails, do we turn to physical power of coercion. Since corporal punishment went out of fashion, the tension in the classroom is always to see whether the teacher can maintain authority without it resulting to any, right, any physical harm. (laughs) Can I, I, when when do I just slap that kid, right? In the days when all political power was regarded as being held in trust from God, there seems to be an authority that went beyond physical force. But today, it is different. That's the crisis of authority. The second kind of authority, there's the, the, the kind of, of, of force. The other kind was, was of function. It's less about power and more about effective procedure, right? When someone lists a whole load of degrees after their name or offers you a resume with a fistful of senior appointments, they're, they're not using coercion, they're just telling you that they're people who know how to run things, how to make things work, how to get the best out of other people, when to make the change and when to wait and see. And when a company tells you it's profoundly been, um, it's proudly been making un-like, unwanted hair removal products since 1957 or a meeting chair says something like let's now turn to item number four on the agenda the kind of authority involved is one that says this is the best way to do things right this is really in everyone's best interest trust me I've done this before it'll work kind of authority and so these are the two kinds of authority we know On the one hand, you have a functional authority with rest on a a proven record of making things work and on the other, you have simple force which has to be respected but only really comes into play when it's lost the argument altogether anyways. And in Matthew 21, Jesus is asked by what authority? What kind of authority does Jesus have? We could say and people often say that God's authority is fundamentally coercion We could say God made heaven and earth and spins the universe on his finger like a frisbee and God gives us life and God determines the moment of our death and God chooses if we qualify for eternal life or not. That's a heck of a lot of power God has. Or alternatively, we could say Christianity basically just works. It has a functional purpose for us. It encourages people to keep their promises and to be better at life and to pay back their debts and to stick with their families and to honor their parents and not be involved in feuds and all of that. That's quite compatible with democracy and capitalism and the free market, right? Put the four together and you have a winner. Christianity, democracy, (laughs) that's what America thinks. When people get angry about Christianity or the church, it's really because they reject its authority, right? One of these two grounds, either they say Christianity doesn't work or they say Christianity is more of just a mask for coercion. When people say Christianity doesn't work, they refer to the failure of its power in accounting for suffering or other faiths or the evidence of scientific inquiry, or they refer to its failure in its other kind of power, questioning whether it genuinely makes a difference at all in anyone's life and offers healing at all or brings the world in peace at all. And when people say Christianity is no more than a mask for coercion, they tend to imply that the Christian story is little more than a veneer of respectability painted over human, human ambition and power and the desire for control. But in Matthew 21, Jesus is asked that question, by what authority? And he responds with a list of cryptic parables and a couple of instructions about paying taxes and about the ridiculous realities of marriage in the afterlife, taxes and marriage. This is what we get three days before the cross, y'all, taxes and marriage. And they ask him this question, by what authority? And Jesus just subverts the question altogether. Or maybe, maybe Jesus is speaking of a different kind of authority. Maybe Jesus is speaking of an authority that goes beyond the antagonism of naked power and the cynicism of established procedure. Maybe instead there's an authority that sometimes appears weak and unpopular, but will abide whether people follow it or not. An authority that has no need for manipulation, because it has no interest in deceiving people at its heart. An authority that doesn't have to be articulate or stylish because it's just as well represented by clumsy and stumbling and rambling people. An authority whose simplicity is in transparency and whose identity is in generosity, whose witness is sheer beauty. Maybe there's a kind of authority, and I don't know what to call this kind of authority, but the authority of truth. Jesus says, believe in me not because you have to, not because it works for you, but because in me you've come face to face with truth. Throughout the last two centuries, there have always been Christians trying to get Jesus's authority onto firmer ground, looking for knockdown evidence for Jesus, trying to show God's power by proving the miracles, or trying to to demonstrate Christianity's plausibility by grounding it on more fashionable forms of human knowledge. But these efforts are always futile and further drive the nail in the coffin of the church's growing irrelevance in the world, right? These efforts rest on a mistaken notion of authority. Jesus comes to us in truth, no more, no less. We can't begin somewhere else and somehow reason our way to Jesus. However, we come to meet Jesus when we come face to face with him. When he sees through us with his fully knowing yet utterly utterly loving gaze, all other truth and all other knowledge and all other relationship and all other authority has to step back. <laughs> they just have to step back. Whenever we ground the authority of Jesus on something other, some other kind of authority, We make that other authority more fundamental than Jesus. And there's nothing more fundamental than Jesus. And when God is, and what God is doing in Jesus, with this conversation of authority, the Pharisees ask two questions Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And if multiple men marry the same woman, whose wife will she be in the afterlife? One is a question of authority as force, and one is a question of authority as function. And they attempt to trap Jesus. Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes as a Jew? With smirks on their faces, they sit waiting for him to entangle himself in this question. Jesus, will you revolt against the empire and against the temple? Or will you submit to their power? By what authority? And then they ask Jesus, whose, whose will receive the honor in the next life for the marriage in this one? and they sit waiting for Jesus to get tongue-tied. How will that work for us, Jesus? How will you work that out, Jesus? Are you effective enough as a leader to work through that complex situation, Jesus? And Jesus is not entangled. He's not entangled because his authority is grounded in truth. If we rest in the authority of truth, the truth that meets us in Jesus makes us let go of the authority of effectiveness and coercion. Jesus has a way of doing things that challenges the time-honored procedures. Jesus has a power that runs counter to worldly power. If we've come to Jesus looking for authority to underwrite the authority of coercion and effectiveness, we've come to the wrong place. We've missed the point. The people I look up to are people who have the authority of truth. I think of a friend who never shouts, never exaggerates, never, never, but simply lets her quiet yes be yes and her quiet no be no. I think of a politician who, when he realized he was wrong, said, when I realize I'm wrong, I change my mind. What do you do? I think of a colleague who was deeply hurt by a friend and yet through his, his tears said, I'm not going to let the bitterness of this injury determine the shape of my future. I think of a woman who simply listens to people for as long as it takes to help them make sense of their troubled life. I think of a teacher who kept going going in day and day into a failing school because he believed whatever it was these children needed, education had to be a big part of it. These are the people I look up to. They, have a, they don't have a handle on coercion. They wouldn't pass a conventional f- test of effective, effectiveness, but they have something more precious. These are the people for, who are Jesus for me. The Pharisees ask Jesus about authority. They ask him about taxes and marriage and authority, but Jesus is not entangled by their questions and says, he says, oh, you are so, so, so wrong. The questions are wrong. The assumptions are wrong. You do not know the scriptures. You do not know the power of God. Your foundations of authority are so skewed, here you are grounding your authority on all these other things. When authority stands right before you, an authority that has lived your life, has died your death, and will rise in glory and in truth, too brilliant for you to by force or function ever find yourself worthy. As the band comes forward, let us prepare our hearts for prayer today.
0: to you.
1: Come to you as people who basically uh, want to be known for being good at life. We we all want to be be known as the people who have the authority. We want to be known as the people who are good at our jobs, that are good moms, that are good dads, that are good good at you know owning a house and good at paying bills and and good at using that degree that we got. Good at getting to the next step in life, whatever that thing is ahead and. And we ground our authority in in things of power and in things of process. And we're not quite sure what it means to ground our authority in who you say we are, just the base of who we are, your beloved. On that week, as you began to walk towards your impending cross, you were asked by what authority. And you knew that no one was going to get that. We're not going to even get that. God, ground us in your truth today your truth, that you came, that we rejoiced over you, and then we crucified you because we didn't understand the authority from whence you came. We join in that prayer that Jesus prayed in trying to teach us of, of who had the authority. Our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done